Welcome to Attached, a platform for adding breadth and depth to everyday living. I'm Yaakov Danishevsky, and this is the conversation series focused on my book. In each episode, I invite a special guest to discuss the topic of a particular chapter and how it relates to our lives. I have the tremendous schos, uh, privilege and an honor to have this next conversation with Rav Arya Libowitz, who really needs no introduction, is uh, very, very widely known for the many, many shirim and, uh, and, and hashpa that he has in, in so many different ways, in psak and in ashul and uh, in, in, in so many different forums. And it's, uh, it was really uh, an honor for me to be able to, to send the book uh, through a cousin of mine, uh, Hudavins and really Witz Shul, um, to, uh, to get a copy of the book and, and to make the, the contact and this connection. And really Witz, thank you so much for making the time to, to have this conversation with me. It's my absolute pleasure and honor to uh, to be with you. The book is fantastic. Your cousin's fantastic too, and I knew anything that comes with his recommendation. Uh, Chesky's just such a brilliant and sweet uh, and sensitive person that I knew that uh, that it would be good. But it it uh, beat my expectations. Really uh, fantastic, fantastic work. Thank you. So we're discussing uh, chapter six of the book, which is called The Right One. It's actually, um, I asked Rebel Libowitz to choose a chapter to be interested in discussing. I was so happy you chose this chapter because uh, it's a chapter that I'm very passionate about. And I also specifically wanted someone from a rabbinic, uh, somebody with more of a a, 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 a rav status and stature to, to speak to it, because I think it's something that for a lot of people can feel very therapisty. And so to hear a therapist say it um, kind of almost loses some of the, 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 the potency of it. So let me just quickly quickly summarize, which is – or maybe that's just my own self-consciousness. I don't know. But, uh, but, but let me quickly summarize the, the, the chapter. So there is these uh, very well-known researchers, Drs. John and, and Julie Gottman. This piece of research is actually specifically from Dr. Julie Gottman. I had the, the opportunity to actually discuss this with them after the book came out. It was really a really neat conversation. Uh, that that what she what she found in her years and years of clinical work and research is that there are no uh, predictive <clears throat> uh, qualities to who is a good spouse for another person, who a person's uh, relationship should be with by looking at character traits or qualities of personality, and that really the way to tell if somebody is right for you for a long term really deep relationship is to ask yourself the question of how do I feel about myself when I'm with this person? And that that is the question that really has, the, has power. And what I suggest in this, in this chapter is that we also can take that same framework and apply that to our relationship with Hashem. How do I know if I've found the real thing, the authentic thing, the authentic Mesorah and tradition of Yiddishkeit? How do I know if I've found, if I've really come into contact with Hashem is if I ask myself the question, how do I feel about myself when I'm with Hashem? And if the answer to that question is that I feel more alive, if I feel that I'm in the best version of myself, the highest actualized version of myself, then I have found Yiddishkeit that's real and I have found Hashem that's real. And if I haven't, then I, I, I need to still be looking. And we always need to still be looking, but I especially need to still be looking. Uh, so Rabbi Leibowitz, I'm, I'm really curious why this chapter is the one that you chose and, and what your reflections are on it. 
Yeah, so first of all, um, not therapisty at all. I, I think that it's everything you write is very strongly based in Mamari Chazal. It's strongly based in the teachings of various Kedolim and Sadikim uh, throughout the ages. So uh, I, I, that part of what I love about the book is that it's so accessible. Meaning, I, I don't, I don't feel like you uh, you need to have a background in mental health to appreciate um, the value of the teachings. Um, now, the reason this chapter jumped out at me. Um, I, I'm not sure what context it was. You were on some podcast. I don't remember which one. Um, do you remember? Which, Probably I, I, the inspiration for the nation one. There was a ah, clip right. of me so, talking about this specific Nakuda that got, yeah, I guess, more so attention. When you said it, like, I froze. I was like, I meaning when you quoted the the, uh, the Gottman, I've I've heard a lot of things. I never really made it through any other books, but I heard a lot of things from from John Gottman, uh, and and most of the most of the of the things that I've heard are really uh, spot on. But for some reason, I've never heard anyone quote this Nakuda before, and it, I, I felt so vindicated in a number of ways by this Nakuda. Um, you know, I teach uh, young men who are of marriageable age, uh, who are either dating or have just gotten married. And a lot of times they come for advice in terms of navigating relationships, and particularly in the dating stage. Uh, the the amount that that I find that people in the dating stage get into the weeds of uh, specifics. But can I marry someone who wears this kind of clothing? Can I like and and like the details are like things that that the guys themselves don't even know the words. They don't even understand what they're talking about half the time. <laughs> they don't. They wouldn't know a stocking from a you know like. They don't know what they're, but but you know the 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 detail oriented types of questions, and I just like always say like take a step back. Like a person is a lot more than one than one factor. Like how how do you get along? How do you feel like when you when you're with that person? And it, it to me that was like that's it. Like to have the data to back that up. That how you feel about yourself when you are with the person being the number one. Um, factor in terms of you know in terms of predicting success of a relationship, I thought was uh, fantastic, and and also because my my own friends make fun of me sometimes when uh, I've been interviewed on also by Yaakov Langer back when he was together with uh, you know uh, on, on uh, the Meaningful People together with Nachi Gordon, and one of their questions that they used to ask is if you could sit down and talk to anybody. Uh, for an hour um, in human history, who would it be? And my response immediately was that, like, I'm a shy person. I'm an introvert. I don't really love, you know, big rooms with lots of people and schmoozing. And I I said, for sure, just like at home alone with my wife, just (laughs) sitting and schmoozing. And my friends were like, ah, come on, you're just, you know, you're just (laughs) saying that. But like, that, that, I think the muscle is, is is more powerful than the nimshal almost. You know, you, you use the marriage as the muscle to the relationship with your banishlalim, but the muscle is not understood by so many people. Like a lot of people don't, they don't live the muscle, totally. and it's really really important to live the muscle. Uh, so that's why it resonated with me. That's why I chose this uh, yeah. this chapter. By the way, it's it's uh, interesting that you mentioned that you've seen a number of the different. Uh, or heard, you know, different pieces of the Gottman's research. Because uh, when I met with them, uh, I sent them a copy of the book, and and Baruch Hashem, they they actually really enjoyed it. And uh, and then we 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 had a Zoom conversation, the three of us, for about an hour. Uh, this is about a couple months ago, and. Uh, 
uh, well, you know, I was asking them, did I get things right in terms of the way I quoted things from you? And, uh, and, and what, one of the things they said to me was that this piece of research, specifically this nugget uh, about you know, the, the difference between looking at character traits versus how do I feel about myself when I'm with this person, again, is actually specifically uh, Dr. Julie Gottman's uh, uh, contribution was one of the pieces of their research that got the, that has gotten the least attention. And it's one of the things that has been least uh, kind of celebrated or, or, or spread. Uh, and, and, and yet we were talking about how of so many of the things that they've contributed, I think this is one of the, one of the most uh, powerful, but it, it has not gotten a whole lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could, right. I, I, I only know that from my own experience, never having heard it anywhere else and, uh, and that, that you're, publicizing it and bring you know bringing it to uh to a whole new audience uh who maybe would not have heard it otherwise i think is uh is huge usually important so uh yeah that's uh that's fantastic that's really wonderful um so i do you want me to maybe discuss some of the details in the uh, yes please in the yeah or 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 also just in terms of you know you mentioned that it's like the mushal and the nimshal so meaning the mushal is the way that 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 idea is uh, used in terms of person-to-person relationships, particularly marriage, and the nimshal being the way that it's used between uh, person-to-God relationship. And I'm I'm curious also how you see that playing out in between us and Hashem. Right, right. So maybe we'll start with the mushal and we'll and then sure. we'll go into the yeah, yeah, uh, into the nimshal. Um, you know, starting with the mushal, you know, you have a line over here where you uh, discuss. You know, around this one question is a cluster of related questions they're saying to reflect on. What does it feel like to be me when I'm with this person? In the company of this person, here's here's the line. Do I feel good about the person I am? Do I feel good in my own skin? And I think that the power of a of a strong and good relationship is is could be summarized in the, in that line that it really brings out the best in you that you become a better person when you're around this person. You know, you're you're a little younger than I am, so you're not at the stage in life where you start marrying off children, but uh, we're right in that stage, right? Our oldest uh, son is married, and thank God has uh, we have a granddaughter. Um, and uh, someone said to me recently, we were at a simcha, and my son and daughter-in-law uh, were at the simcha together with us, and a cousin of ours said, after we were schmoozing with my son a little bit, said, wow, he became such a mensch. He became such, like, he really, it's just so impressive. And I said, he married a good woman. <laughs> you know, like, it's its so obvious that she just brings out the best in him. And that's what a, that's what a good relationship can do. And of course, it's going to develop, it's going to build your own self-confidence when you realize that you're a better person around that person. So I think as, as a mushal, it's extraordinarily uh, powerful as, as a mushal. Now, as a nimshal, also very powerful. Um, I, I'm curious, though, if you don't mind me interviewing you for a moment, um, you know, the way you phrased it at the beginning was, how do you know you found the right one, one with a capital O, the real thing? How do you know you're in the right relationship? So I, I, I'm curious, like, why you phrased it as how you know you found the right one, as opposed to how do you know that you understand the one or that you ah. understand what a relationship with the one should be? Meaning, like, there's no right one and wrong one. There's just one. Right, right, right. right. I guess that's true, right? I guess maybe I don't know if I thought about it in terms of the that, that being I, I don't know that I thought about that distinction in the sense that, yes, there is only there is only actually one. 
Uh, but how do you know you've come into contact with him versus right. or, coming or into contact the way with you've some... come into contact with him is the right method of contact or the right, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that you're navigating the relationship appropriately. Meaning mm -hmm. I would say like when you're, when, when someone is dating, they may have found the one, but if they're not speaking properly, you know, like, uh, if they're, um, not speaking with respect or they're, they're, they're interacting with the person on a more juvenile level, you know, mm -hmm. so then the relationship's not going to build, it's not, it's not going to develop the way it should develop. But if they're relating to the person as they ought to relate to the person, then the relationship has much more um, chances to develop. So it's not it's not who the one is. The one is the right. one, right? It's just right. About... I guess I mean maybe it'd be like an interesting philosophical question. So like let's say just to use a kind of cliche version of this, let's say somebody has a understanding of God as a very uh, punishing, um, you know, angry. Let's just let's just you know oversimplify this example for a second. They have this understanding of God as this very punishing, very angry, uh, very, ze you know, zealous kind of a God. Uh, and that's, that's their perception of God. So, I mean, this is more of a philosophical nature, I guess. I don't know that it, I don't know how much it matters practically, but would you say that that person has come into contact with, with God, with the one, uh, but just that they've, they, they're, they're, perception of it and their method of, of coming into contact is wrong? Or would you say that that's actually not coming into contact with God? That's just coming into contact with some imagined, you know, idea of something, but it's not actually the thing itself. Right, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, the way I was looking at it was that once you recognize that there is a creator, and there is someone that controls the world and that put the world into place and that made you and that, you know, so then you've, you've, you've contacted the one. If you're, if you're looking at him with a jaundiced eye and you're misunderstanding it, I obviously none of us fully understand, but sure. you know, if you're not even using the right pathways through which human beings have the capacity to understand. So then, you know, your, your relationship's not going to develop the same way. But I think at the end of the day, as, as far as practicality is concerned, there's no <laughs> right. real difference between uh, right. uh, what you're saying. I'll say it's just the first thing that jumped out at me when you said like, yeah, no, it's an interesting, I never thought about it. It's an interesting question. Yeah. The, um, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, just back to the, um, to the muscle for a second. Um, the idea that, uh, and 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 it connects to the nimshal also. The idea that a a positive relationship with another person is reflected in the sense that you become better around them and that you feel better about yourself. You know, I'm reminded of um, of uh, a vart I once heard from Rabbi Prero in Chicago. Um, you know him? Sure. Yeah, your Alicia Prero. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, oh, is that Mayor? Is that Rabbi Mayor Simchas Shever Brachos? Yeah, yeah, so, it's his father-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he said at the Shever Brachos, um, a word from that he heard from, I think it was from Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been Rav Luchtenstein. I'm not sure. It was one of the Rav Arons, uh, <laughs> where the uh, you know the Gemara says that when the Chumash tells us that that a wife is an Ezer Kenegdo, that Chava is an Ezer Kenegdo, so the Gemara says Zocha Ezer Lo Zocha Kenegdo, which we normally translate to mean that if you merit, then she will be a uh, helpful person to you, and if Lo Zocha, if you don't merit, then you're going to be left with a miserable wife, and she's always going to be fighting you at every turn. So he said, Zacha sometimes means not just merit, it sometimes means that you are correct, that you are right. 
So he says, Zacha Ezer, to the, 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 the perfect woman, uh, the perfect match for a person, the perfect mate for a person, is both of those things. That when you are Zacha, when you are correct and you're doing the right things, Ezer, she'll push you in that direction and she'll help do whatever she can to help you accomplish those things that you're meant to accomplish. And Lo Zacha, when you're wrong, and when you're you're putting your efforts in the wrong place, and you're holding grudges, and you do connecto, she'll be the one to be connecto to 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 protect you from from the worst parts of yourself, mm. and to use our relationship with the Ribbon Shalom in that same way. That to realize that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you know, person wants to be retired, person wants to uh, to do good things. Hakadosh Baruch Hu should uh, should push him. Now, the idea of a punishing God, we we certainly do believe in Scharva Onesh. Hashem does punish. He punishes us when we are connected, when we make the wrong decisions in our lives. But that's not what he's hoping to do. He's not. He's not looking to punish us. He's looking to push us in uh, in the right direction. So that that uh, part of the mashal also, you know, had a certain resonance uh, with me. Also, I, I think like a certain emphasis, probably just you know, for balance. Um, uh, should probably be, and you do have this a, a little bit in the cha- a little bit later in the chapter, um, and you make allusions to it earlier also, where you write that it's it, to be confident enough and motivated to expand beyond your comfort zone. I mean, the idea is not just to know that I love myself and that uh, Hashem loves me and that everything is always good, which you know, uh, but but it's to take that love that Hashem has for me and realize that that should be a motivating factor to strive for more. You know, Oev mitzvos lo yispa mitzvos, that a person who loves mitzvos and he loves avodas Hashem is just going to be hungry for more. You know, or the idea, let's say, uh, where you speak about, um, you know, modani lefanecha, that I realize even while my hands are still tame, before I've even done the tilas yudayim, I, I realize I'm here because Hashem wants me to be here. Um, part of that is also and and therefore Hashem has a mission for me to accomplish today. Right. Meaning that, uh, so like that 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 sense of uh, of mission, I think, is an important because a lot of times when people hear this very correct and resonant and powerful message of being comfortable that Hashem loves you, being comfortable that you know that Hashem wants you to be where you are and to not view yourself in a negative light. And then Hashem, even regardless of what you did yesterday, Hashem loves you. People very often don't finish the sentence. I, I even had, you know, uh, uh, a friend of mine, probably a mutual friend of ours, I would bet, uh, uh, Kovi Fleischman. You know Kovi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he sent me a video um, a while ago of Moshe Weinberger talking about, you know, this idea, which is, you know, pretty much like the most uh, central theme of Rav Weinberger's teachings, um, you know, about Hashem loving you. And at the end of the, and, and, and the end of the sentence was um, that, uh, you know, and, and, and that means that we have an achrayus to live up to that love and to do more and to try to, and to try to respond to that love in a, in a powerful way. And uh, he said, do you think I should put this out there, this video? I said, oh, why not? It's great. He said, I'm just afraid that um, once it gets out there, someone's going to cut out the second half and only uh. post the first half. I said, what are you talking about? Who cuts videos and is going to do that? 
literally within an hour of him sending it out. I had it forwarded to me from other places. Look at this beautiful video from Rav Weinberger with only the first half and the second half. Meaning, it's, it's, people love to hear that no matter what you do, Hashem loves you because that but if you use that as a license to do whatever the heck you darn please, you know, that's not a good thing. I mean, we have to, I, I like how you emphasized, uh, particularly at the end of the chapter, and, and this is what should motivate us to expand our horizons, to go beyond our comfort zone, to do more, to do better, to reciprocate, you know, that that love. I just heard uh, in a shir from Rabbi Yisrael Reisman, he said that... Uh, uh, the day after his wedding, he had his father pick him up. His father picked him up from his apartment to bring him to Shachris to go to davening, um, because he can't go out without a shomer. So uh, his father picked him up. His father was a Holocaust survivor. His father was uh, a person who saw a lot of tzaros in his life. He had lost a child, um, really a lot, a lot of tzaros. And he said that they were at davening together, and he sees his father's putting on Rabbi Tam Tefillin, and he says to his father, "When did you start putting on Rabbi Tam Tefillin?" So his father said, today, I was zeichel to marry you off his son. Because Baruch gave me such a matana, I'm not going to do something in return. I, wow. I have to, meaning that, that love Hashem just showed me demands that I do something concrete going forward to reciprocate that love. I think that's, uh, that's, that's a major element of the, um, yeah. you know, of the picture over here. And I'm so happy that you're emphasizing that because I think for whatever reasons, that's that's really a, a like a culturally wide, societally wide uh, mistake that at least it seems to me that that there's this sense that if I focus on self-acceptance, if I focus on uh, Hashem loving me, whether we talk about it from a spiritual perspective, a religious perspective, or a psychological perspective, any of these kinds of forms of that kind of positive messaging, then that leads to complacency. And that if I focus on a more critical message, then that leads to motivation. And and it really, I think that the the research, at least psychologically, really does not indicate that at all. It actually indicates, uh, in many ways, the opposite. It's it's actually a little bit complex, but because 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 this the critic criticism can certainly lead to motivation, but it usually leads to motivation at at, at the cost of a lot of other important things in life. So the people who are motivated by by overly critical messages can sometimes achieve a lot, but in a very very narrow sense, when the rest of their life will actually be falling apart. Uh, but but the idea that that the positivity, and I think this is what I'm hearing you emphasize, that the, the positive messaging can and should and actually really does when done when done correctly does lead to more growth and motivation, I think is so is so important and, and often just misunderstood. Yeah, I think there's I mean you allude to this also that there's more than allude to it, you say explicitly at the end of the chapter that there's that a sense of happiness just has this spillover effect in every area of life. Meaning if you start your day, let's say, with just feeling that you've accomplished something, you know, the most common example people give is exercise, right? If you if you start your day on the treadmill and you feel like, okay, I just ran a couple of miles, it's, today's going to be a good day, you're going to eat better that day than you otherwise would right. have. You're going to, everything you do is going to be a little, a little bit better. Um, you know, you start your day with a Seder Limud and with a good tefillah and with, it just, you know, I just had this experience myself because after Pesach, I decided, okay, back to the treadmill. And I was being good about it from Pesach until Shavuos. And then, you know, I pulled a muscle in my leg. So that first day that I couldn't go on the treadmill, I had the 
lousy his day. You know, <laughs> when you when you don't, you don't get to start off in that way, so you feel like, oh, now everything's going to be bad today. Meaning, it really, you know, it feeds it feeds itself. We uh, we we need the small wins uh, to uh, and 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 that just genuine sense of happiness to uh, motivate us throughout the day. Mm-hmm. The the simplest example I always just like to give people when they when they challenge this idea that that the happiness or positivity will will breed motivation uh, is is I don't know from eating is you know if if I if I'm eating uh, a steak that I think is delicious and I have a bite and it's delicious that doesn't make me not want to continue eating. Right. <laughs> quite exactly. the opposite that makes me want to eat more to the point where i'll overeat right when something is good and it feels good and it's delicious we want we want more of it so if i feel good about having done something positive and i don't have to and i don't criticize myself for it or find the way that it wasn't good enough or that it didn't meet some expectation but i actually allow myself to feel good about it that's going to motivate me to want to to want to push myself to have more of those experiences i think yeah, and, and going back to the muscle of the human relationships, being a positive person just in general will do more for your relationship than any other um, particular character trait. You could be brilliant, you could be witty, you could be funny, you could just being a positive person. You come into your house at the you know after a long day with a big smile on your face. How was your day today? It was great. Uh, re- again, quoting Rabbi Reisman uh, from Tarvadas, he he says that. Uh, he, well, I brought my Talmidim from YU to Tarvadas a few weeks ago uh, to meet with Rabbi Reisman. And at the end, he said, you guys are all at the age where you either just got married or are getting married, you know, or in that parsha. When you come home after a long day, just everything was great. Big smile on your face. Later after dinner, you know, you could break it to her that you need a new car because of the accident that you got into. Or, you know, <laughs> but like it has to be with, you know, with, with that sense of, of positivity to know how, how to smile and how to, you know, not sweat the small stuff and to uh, mm-hmm. and, and that that will impact your whole relationship. And again, it fits perfectly into the uh, into the, the nimshal. Yeah. So it, it seems to me that at least this is my anecdotal experience it is not coming from any kind of research or anything like that but it, it feels to me very often like the culture in our from circles is that we're it, there's almost like a uh a street credit you know that a person gets by kind of putting themselves down in terms of their from kite of like where they're holding or what they've done um you know like in you know it, in Olam Yeshivo, so like when somebody is still, you know, primarily in learning, or they're a balabas trying to learn, and it's, you know, to 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 talk positively. I mean, I, I I'm not advocating for talking overly positively in a way that would be kind of like arrogant or egotistical, but there there's kind of like a a, a culture of just at least it feels to me there's like a culture of of formulating my own religious life with a very kind of self critical tone to it. Um, I, I don't yeah. know if you agree with that observation. Do you think that there's a there's something good about that? Do you think that's something we want to try and change? Um, I, I think that in general, there's always been you know two schools of Moser. Um, there's the godless Adam Slobodka, and then there's Navardic, and there's you know the the. There, it, it, it used to be whether human nature has changed or whether just our opportunities outside of uh, our from communities have uh, have changed and therefore negativity will just drive people away, whether we're more sensitive 
whatever the, the, the issue is, but it seems that it used to be a very effective method, um, you know, to motivate people by, uh, uh, by, by lowering oneself as much as possible. It doesn't seem that in our generation people react well to that. Meaning even like the great Litvisha Rashi Yeshiva, it was part of the culture that if you said a bad svara, they would just yell at you. Like, you know, it was like, it was that people in Rav Salvechik's year before his uh, year of Triple Avelis when supposedly he mellowed a lot, you know, like uh, he, he would, uh, if you said a bad svara, ah, shikr, he would, he would call people a drunkard and, uh, you know, like, that, because that was, that's how you said good morning in Lita, you know, that's, that was, <laughs> That was the way. That was the way people uh, motivated each other. Um, I, I, and 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 at the same time, we also have to realize that anivus is a very very high value in Judaism. One could argue that, uh, according to most of the Bali Musr, it is the most important midah for a person to have. You know, when um, uh, when the Orchas Sadikim goes through midah by midah, he starts with gaiva and anivus because that's you know. That that's the most critical media to develop. So the question is, how to balance that sense of anivus and, and without being, you know, a defeatist and uh, someone who's always down on yourself to the point that you're not going to be able to to accomplish. So that that's tricky. The Gemara in Sota tells us in Daflamid Bays that a person should not flaunt their accomplishments, be aware of them, but not flaunt them. And the Gemara says, but. Um, your failures, you should you should say out loud, and mm-hmm. then the Gemara says, "Really, you should go around telling everyone about your averos and your failures." And the Gemara says, "No, no, your sorrows, your challenges, your difficulties, so that people could daven for you, but not your failures." Meaning, Tame Tame Yikra, the Mitzvah lets everybody know so that they could daven for him and that they could, uh, you know, they could participate in uh, being part of the solution for for that person's problems. Um, but it's an interesting Hava Amina Amaskar in the Gemara, that the Gemara is a Hava Amina. The Gemara initially thinks that you should let your failures be known to, to other people. You should go around talking about it. And then the Gemara says, no, you, re- you really shouldn't do that. It's probably not, not the way to go. So that, that, that like almost like struggles with this very, uh, this very point. Yeah, yeah. Another point that I was just uh, switching topics for yeah, a moment please, please. Um, that 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 uh, jumped out at me in this uh, chapter, um, you quoted from your grandfather with the joke about the zoo owner, um, yeah. who's uh, I don't know how much should I explain. Do we assume that everyone who's listening read the uh, <laughs> the chapter? Should I, uh, should I should I go through it before I make my um, comment? Most of these I've been trying to assume people haven't read the book. So okay, all right. <laughs> so. Uh, Basically, the uh, the joke goes that there was a guy, uh, a zoo owner, who didn't have enough money to buy a monkey, and he therefore paid one of the zoo workers to dress in a monkey suit and to uh, pretend to be a monkey. And then uh, he was and he was doing a great job. And then one day he somehow tumbled and landed in the lion's cage, and the lion approaches him and he started to shriek. He was terrified. He was going to be eaten alive. And slowly the lion comes right up to him and 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 whispers in his ear quiet. If you don't stop screaming, you're going to blow both of our covers, meaning that the lion was also in a, uh, was also really just a person in a suit. And you use that as a uh, a lesson that very often um, we're a bunch of people wearing monkey suits trying to impress lions that aren't really lions. They're just people wearing lion suits, meaning that a lot of the things that we do, a lot of the keeping up with the Joneses and things of that nature, nobody is is, is really themselves. And, you know, in our 
innermost relationships, uh, hopefully our relationship with God, and hopefully also our relationship with our spouses, we can just sort of let our hair down and just like be ourselves. And we can actually just be, um, as opposed to the way we are, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the way we interact with, uh, with society. Um, so I found it interesting, um, because I think that it's very true. There's a, there's a lot of, a, a, a lot of, um, I don't, I don't know. It's maybe a little too cynical to call it a show that that we put on, but um, you know whether it be protocols, etiquette, uh, things that we do for social norms that maybe aren't really a reflection of ourselves. At the same time, the flip side of that that maybe I think is worth exploring is the value of that, meaning the value of having those social norms and those etiquette and you know i i don't you know when when uh, no one's around and i'm not going to be on uh, a uh a, a video call i'm not wearing a tie you know and uh you know or a white shirt or whatever you know at night when i'm just you know in my house alone uh, obviously i'm in much more casual clothing uh, but is there value in like you're going to a wedding so you dress up right. you're going to school you just i mean there there is uh you know, and and even in that relationship, that most comfortable relationship, um, it, th- there might be value in being completely yourself, um, being reserved for only the most intimate relationships, um, being completely vulnerable and completely yourself, uh, without any sort of, uh, you know, without any any outside pressures. That's reserved for your wife. That's reserved for your kids. I wonder if there's uh, if there's value in that. Like, if I was totally myself all the time, my wife would would freak out. She'd get, she'd be upset. I'd oh, run out of the kiddush every time. I would never schmooze with anybody <laughs> because you know uh, socially, I don't uh, I don't love it. Um, I think you froze. Are we back? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. I don't know where you lost me, but um, yeah. Um, I I lost you when you were you were um, talking about the value of that etiquette and how that can translate into even like back home when we're with that most uh, intimate or comfortable person. Right. So I I was thinking like what occurred to me is that if I was always one hundred percent myself. I probably wouldn't be as productive in in the world mm-hmm. and probably it would annoy my wife a little bit. Not in the sense that, you know, uh, that, that that she's not the only one that sees me fully as myself, but in the sense that, like, you got to behave yourself <laughs> when you're in public. You have to, you know, you have to, if you're at the shul's kiddish and you're the rabbi of the shul, you need to socialize with people. You can't just run into a corner somewhere like you want to, um, you know, so... I, I'd love to hear you uh, elaborate on on that, or if you disagree with that entirely. No, no, no. I I, I don't disagree with it at all. I I, uh, I think I agree with that. Maybe maybe I, I'm just wondering if a way that we could formulate that that it kind of still fits into this framework is that we have different parts of ourselves, and so the idea being that the the let's call it the rabbi part. That you know, where is the the high and socializes at the kiddish and etc. It's not an inauthentic part. It is a part of yourself 
and that that's different still than the part that would just be the you know the figuratively speaking letting the hair down um, part uh, and 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 the idea being that we to to be authentically me we actually need all those parts of ourselves so like I like to think that that pretty much all the quote unquote diagnoses in the DSM or within the world of mental health even the more extreme ones are all functions of the human condition. They're just more extreme versions that can become disordered. So let's say, you know, somebody has, you know, bipolar or schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder, things like that, where they show up in different settings or in different times in their life in ways that are completely split in their personality, like completely split that one doesn't even know of the other. And it's completely different and, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, etc. But we all have that to some degree, just that in a healthy version of that, in a ordered version, as opposed to the disordered version, in the ordered healthy version of that, we kind of have a core, almost as if you like a, like a container that is able to hold all of those things together in a way that it's, that they're integrated with one another, and that they're not completely split from one another, but that different aspects of ourself show up in different ways. And so there's the aspect of ourself that is just kind of letting go of all the other aspects. And that's the part that's kind of meant for that home experience when it's later at night and I can just, you know, take off the tie, et cetera, whatever it is for each person. But then we have parts of ourselves that we also need to have activated and actualized, which are the giving the drusha, being on a podcast, you know, whatever it might be for different people. Uh, so, so I think it kind of still fits within in, in that in that rubric, and and maybe I guess what what I'm hearing you add is that the societal expectations or etiquettes, etc., can kind of help us to actualize some of those parts that really are important to actualize. Yeah, meaning I think it was particularly within the film community, um, a lot of the. A lot of our accomplishments and a lot of what keeps us in line and keeps us uh, doing mitzvahs and, uh, and 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 keeps us disciplined enough is that you know if I miss chakras, the guy who sits next to me is going to say, "Oh, I missed you today. Where where were you?" You know, like there is a lot of that chevrachef um, that really we find that I find at least that with learning programs. Um, the successful learning programs are the one that involve some subtle amount of peer pressure. Um, I don't mean in, in a negative way. I mean in a completely positive way. That, and, yeah. you know, that's. But like you said, that's not a costume. That's allowing, you know, some part of you to uh, to express itself. And I also don't think it's so bad when we see only the better parts of other people. You know, uh, a lot of times, if you'd see all the negativity, it would be, uh, it would be very frustrating and, <laughs> and it wouldn't be so motivating necessarily. Um, but when you get to see the good stuff, if you don't, if it doesn't crush you and you don't feel uh, unworthy or, you know, but, but it, it motivates you, um, you know, like there, there's a whole debate about like uh, the art school biographies, right? Where they don't go right, through right. the struggles. Like there's a biography about a particular gadol, not written by art school, I think, about a particular gadol who got divorced at some stage in his life, and it didn't mention a word about his divorce. Like it was a, obviously it was a major event in in <laughs> in his life, um, and it's you know so people criticize like why did they leave out those things? Now while some of the struggles may be. Um, may be uh, very inspiring in, in seeing how people overcame the struggles. 
I find the victories very inspiring also, meaning I think like emphasizing what made them great as opposed to what made them average, you know, uh, to be to, to be what I want to read about. I find it to be very inspiring to see that about people. But I, I understand both sides of that uh, of that debate and how right. people would be motivated by different elements. Right. Or I guess the middle ground would be that that the victory is is inspiring when when we see the victory in the context of actually being a matter of struggle, as opposed to, I guess, what can sometimes feel like it's a victory that just was it was just an alley oop for them. It didn't. It doesn't look like much of a victory when. Right. So I think all would agree that you know a rags to riches kind of story. You know, like in, in the Rav Gifter biography, it says that when he applied to MTA as a ninth grader, they put him in the lowest shear, and he overheard someone in the office say, "What? Why are you putting him in the lowest shear?" And they said, "Because we don't have anything lower." Uh, meaning, and, and like, and and that's where that's where, he, and then he became Rav Gifter. You know, so that. I think all agree is inspiring and that all agree uh, is something that clearly overcoming a weaker kind of background um, where where I'm very happy uh, to not read about things that were not overcome. (laughs) Things that were just, you know, struggles where there were just weaknesses. People sometimes Mm -hmm. have weaknesses and I'd rather not read about the weaknesses. And, uh, you know, there's a beautiful part I heard from Isaac Bernstein, Zechronel of Racha once. I don't remember who he quoted, um, but the Pasuk says, which literally means don't make yourself into a, don't don't make for yourself, rather, a graven image, uh, whether it be an image of the sun, the moon, the stars, or whether it be something down here on earth, you shouldn't have idols. Uh, But he had al derech drush, don't make yourself into a Pesavakaltamuna, into an image of somebody else. Don't try to be someone else. How then should you utilize other people in self-motivating and becoming the best you? Asher when it comes to heavenly matters, when it comes to matters of Ruchnius, look me ma'al. Look at those who have achieved more, those who have done more with less, and uh, and use that as a motivator. And when it comes to earthly matters, when it comes to gashmios, when it comes to creature comforts and uh, things of that nature, mitachas, look at those who make do with less and are, uh, are still managed wow. to find their happiness. Wow. Yeah, I guess it really is kind of a, a sometimes a, a difficult, a, a, a subtle or nuanced balance. Because I could say like for myself, I am a member of a shul here in Chicago where I feel that many, many of the guys, the chevra that I'm a part of, are people who uh, are really kovea itim and, and learn in, and at, a, at a level and in a, in a quantity and a, a seriousness that, uh, that, that that's a, a level uh, sometimes above me or that the, the diktuk and halacha or the hakpada of being on time to minyan, etc. are things that at times I can feel self-conscious of and in a way that I think is actually really good for me and really helpful. Uh, but if it's if it's in a way of that, it's not a matter of being inspired by it or a way of of holding myself to the, to where I think I should be. But it's more of trying to uh, be kind of more self critical in the sense of you know why am I not like them? Well, I guess because even that question, it really depends on how you ask it. Like, it's a very subtle thing, right? Because like, why am I not like them can be a very helpful question. But then why am I not like them can be a really devastating, like a really right. damaging question. It's really, it's really, it's very subtle in, in how a person experiences it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, what, the, what what this chapter emphasizes is to be you. And, you know, and, and that's why I love it. I think it's, uh, yeah. it's such a critical, critical message. And, you know, I, 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 you touch upon it, which you mentioned before about how people sometimes do use negative motivation, but usually even when that leads to accomplishment, it's in a very narrow area. And I know people like this. I know people who are extraordinary professionally, um, bec- and, and it's purely through, through negative motivation. And yeah. they struggle a lot with, with a lot of other things, a lot of other areas yeah. of life. You know, I think um, uh, Dove Lichtenstein once said that, uh, thank God now people seek um, coaching and therapy and, you know, to, to, to help them through these things. He said that it used to be that if someone would say, I, I see a therapist, they would say, oh, what's wrong with you? He said where he comes from now, he's the CEO of a large company. If someone says, I don't have a therapist, they would say, well, what's wrong with you? Meaning okay. uh, dealing with the, those kinds of pressures and those kinds of stresses, it could lead to a very unhealthy kind of uh, balance yeah. if you don't have something to balance you out. Yeah. I, I do have uh, one or two more questions, but to make sure that uh, I have a chance, is there any anything else in, that, that you had in mind that you wanted to, to highlight or share? Um, I, I really loved the uh, the quote from Rav Cook. I just want to read it because I think it's fantastic toward the end of the chapter. The more a person loves himself, the more the goodness within him will spread to everything on all his surroundings, on the whole world, on all existence. The more one elevates his own worth internally and externally, so too the light and goodness will be elevated and strengthened in the world. Just that expansive uh, nature of, of of feeling good, I think, is so so critical. And Ashrecha uh, for um, you know for highlighting that. Thank you. So one one last question. I I saw a uh, a rabbi psychologist once make the haara. The, the observation, the insight that when it says in Perkeavos, Ezu Asher Samech Bechelko, which, and this relates to the conversation we've been weaving in and out of this whole time, Ezu Asher Samech Bechelko, who's the, the wealthy person, the one who is happy with their, with their portion, that in typically we, we always hear that, that Maimar Chazal, that statement in the context of, let's say, Musr Shmuz is talking about materialism. Right and and the physical world that a person should be happy with what they have and and that's real wealth uh, and and that that's what we want to you know kind of kind of work on and and his point was that 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 the Mishnah there at least overtly doesn't seem to to specify that that's only talking about material the material chilek that a person has the material portion a person has but it's also referring to the spiritual portion portion that a person has. Uh, and 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 he he thinks it's essentially important that we apply that that same exact kind of mindset and that that specific Maimar Chazal, but everything that comes with it uh, to our ruchnius as well as our gashmius. I'm curious what what you think about that that way of looking at it. Yeah, so I, I've been asked a similar question just last night at my son's high school graduation. Um, one of the speakers, one of the students, said that in the last day of Machshava class of senior year. Right at the end of class, one of the Talmidim asked uh, if if you're supposed to be Sameach Bechelko in Ruchnius. Um, huh. and, and, and if you are, then like, what's the point of doing anything if you're already Sameach Bechelko? And then the, the speaker said, and the bell rang and high school was over. You <laughs> 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 will never have an answer to this question. Um, but I think there's a difference between Sameach Bechelko and Mistapik Pomuat, um, mm-hmm. meaning... Um, it's 
one can never be mistapik bemuat when it comes to Ruchnius. A person should never feel that he's arrived, that he's accomplished enough, that he's done enough. Uh, there's no word in 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 uh, Loshna Kodesh for retirement because there's no such concept. Um, a person has to use every moment of life to try to be better and do more and accomplish. Sameach Bechelko, I do believe, though, applies to Ruchnius in the sense that um, whatever you've accomplished is is worthy of celebrating, meaning uh, a small victory is also a victory. Um, you know, Kalev uh, Ben Yifuna is, 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 is celebrated for uh, standing up to the Meraglim and causing everyone to just stop with all the chaos and with the Meraglim, everyone following what the Meraglim is about to say. He failed. He he stopped everyone from getting caught up in it for a half a second until they ignored him and then went, <laughs> went back to being caught up in it. But but that half a second is also valuable, meaning every small victory should be viewed as a victory. We can't only look at things as, you know, the, an all-or-nothing attitude is uh, could be very destructive. So I think it's it's important that we be sameach b'chalko, at the same time, never, never be, um, never feel that we've accomplished all that that needs to be accomplished. Thank you. That's a really, really helpful clarifying distinction between those two, uh, those two phrases. Yeah, thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Okay. Thank well, you so much for making this time to have this conversation with me and for looking at the book. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. You should just know I, I quoted the book last week in my uh, uh, in, in my shir in yeshiva. And uh, I had forgotten the name of the book. All the Talmudim knew it. They all, uh, they said <laughs> wow. it's a fantastic you. work. So you're making an impact and you should keep on doing so. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please follow us on WhatsApp, YouTube, or Instagram. All our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out with questions, comments, or suggestions, or to be added to our WhatsApp groups. You can reach us through email using yakov, Y-A-K-O-V, dot attached, at gmail.com, or on WhatsApp at 773-888-2413.